soft you now the fair ophelia nymph in thy orisons be all my sins remembered Zach Powers. And this is Stage of Fools. The unofficial Royals podcast. Tonight we'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 8, Be All My Sins Remembered. In light of Violet's disappearance, Cyrus endures a mental breakdown and begins to suspect Helena may have had Violet killed. Liam confronts Eleanor with his theory that their mother killed their father's first love, and the pair becomes determined to elicit a confession. James Hill reveals why he took the bodyguard position to Eleanor. Dominique grows closer to Liam, and Ted plants bugs around the palace. Well, after our unfortunate lost episode a few weeks back, we were just so, so sad that we didn't get to uh, have our audience here, our friend Jesse Whitehead, who is so funny and such a treat to have around. But I'm happy to say uh, he's been very patient with us and very generous with his time. And tonight we have him back. Welcome, Jesse. Hello. Am I saying that correct? Hello. <laughs> yes. Uh, feel free to chime in with a British accent whenever you like. We're really about the British accents, no matter how good or bad the quality is. Oh, chip, chip, cheerio then. What's all this, eh? Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm listening to clips of audio from the show. It's so authentic. <laughs> <laughs> Although already your British accent is more authentic than several cast members, so... That's true. That's all good. Yeah. There are a few people in the cast who aren't British. Then there's someone who's British who's playing an American. But thankfully, he's not on this episode, and I'm happy that we don't no. have to see his yes. stupid, Jasper sulky fucking face. So let's just, like they say in The Sound of Music, let's just start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. It starts very dramatically. With the crackle of a fire. With Liam answering very earnestly. Uh, it's Liam standing in front of a fire very earnestly answering a question about his family, saying something along the lines of, we're just like any family, I suppose. I have it written down. Um, I actually wrote down a lot of lines from this episode because the writers were like really using up all their best ones. Um, So we actually don't hear the question. We just see a fire and hear it crackling. And then Liam is like sitting super dramatically in front of it. And he says, Mm -hmm. we're just a family like any family. And he sort of gives like almost an ironic little smile and then mm-hmm. we're not. And then it immediately cuts to pretty much right away, I think, a coked out Cyrus holding the mm-hmm. sword of state to Helena's throat while she lies in the bed. The camera moves through two doors which open into Helena's bedroom where Cyrus is holding a sword up to Helena's throat screaming and accusing her, asking her what she did with Violet. Because as we will find out in this episode, every member of the royal family has consumed all of the drugs in the United Kingdom. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, we found that out a long time ago. <laughs> I hate to spoil that, Jesse. Oh, no. Everyone, everyone is coked out all the time. That's just a given. <laughs> so Helena and Cyrus sort of... Helena remains very cruel under pressure. You got to give it to her. She manages to snark back at him, even when he's, you know, 
pressing this extremely heavy weapon down on her throat, she's like, I'm going to kick you in your remaining testicle. And then she basically does. And Cyrus goes, you kicked my balls. And she says, I kicked your ball. Because, of course, the show and the characters like to emasculate Cyrus as much as possible for the fact that he had testicular cancer and they had to have one of his testicles removed. Oh, we, and we must never let the audience forget it either. Oh, yeah. Pretty much the theme of this season has been balls on the throne, which is a phrase that gets thrown around a shocking amount, even for a show on the E! Network. I have to confess, um, the only reason my sympathy for Cyrus in that instance is limited is because he would easily do the same to anybody else for any reason. There is nothing off limits for Cyrus, so I suppose he kind of opens himself up in that regard. He is weirdly sympathetic at times and weirdly more self-aware than usual in this episode. Like, we'll get to it, but it's hilarious that the episode starts with him being coked out and trying to cut someone's head off with a sword and I'm like he's so sympathetic this episode but (laughs) well Cyrus does love swords and threatening people with them it is established canon royals canon honestly I'm surprised that we didn't see him doing cocaine off the sword my arguably favorite character Joan Collins as the Duchess of Oxford enters the frame I won't even say enters the scene enters the frame and drops slash smashes this giant um, vase jug thing on Mm -hmm. Cyrus's head, which we later find out is from the 15th century. And it is so big and heavy, Cyrus immediately passes out on top of Helena. And Helena accuses him of being dramatic and is like, get off of me, but he's out cold. And then in a moment that I thought was actually a very clever, funny moment of editing, we hear... Eleanor, as we see Helena lying with, you know, Cyrus and the sword on top of her, we hear Eleanor in the distance go, Mom? And they immediately cut to the title card, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, you know, it's almost mm-hmm. like a little kid calling for their mom. Let's not forget uh, Joan Collins's line after she smashes the vase over his head and he drops out, he passes out. She says, some of us are trying to sleep, oh, which yeah. is yeah. funny But then what I loved about it was a little later we see that she saw him heading to the bedroom with the sword. So the whole time she's been coming up behind him with that vase, all she is thinking about is, this is going to sound so cool when I say it. Absolutely. She very leisurely moves through from one room to another. I actually, they show us that later in the episode. I actually really like that shot. The first thing we see is her on the balcony adding alcohol to her tea, which is just like so perfectly dutchy. It was so dutchy and she just like lugubriously moves through to help. Helena's bedroom in time for Helena to get a few testicle quips in. When we come back, I have to talk about this. When we come back from the credits, Cyrus is freaking out to Ted over Violet's disappearance. Mm -hmm. And we learn later this actually happened before the scene where he was threatening Helena. Right. Because at this point, Violet has only been missing for five hours. It's been five hours and he's already like, she's dead. Yes. Yeah, uh, she said she'd be back before the broadcast. She wasn't, so he immediately assumes. It's sort of like um, one of my favorite things about the play The Tempest, where every character just assumes everyone else is dead immediately and for no reason. Um, Cyrus takes that approach. Women love clingy boyfriends. Mm-hmm. Ted is like having a rare moment of competence uh, where he's kind of trying to calm Cyrus down. But Cyrus is spiraling and he's talking about how people get killed like in the line of duty all the time. And he's like, 
Then Cyrus takes a moment and goes, oh, I'm sorry. That was insensitive of me because your wife died. And I was like, mm-hmm. so we've had two whole seasons of Cyrus and Helena making fun of Ted for having a dead wife. Like, it's very much like Tobias in Arrest Development. Oh, look who's the marriage expert. Oh, I'm sorry. Your wife is dead. <laughs> like, it's yeah. been is exactly that. that. Was? Is that who the lady was that he kept talking to? Yeah, the lady who's like borderline they can't they can't actually have her masturbating because it's e it's not like showtime but she's like running her hands all over her body and like feeling up the couch while she's in lingerie and i didn't even realize she was a ghost until later when she was covered in blood it's like how could have you it's kind of a banquo situation here if i may drop in another (laughs) shakespeare reference Mm-hmm. And I shall, because there are several more coming up later on. Ghosts aren't real. They're a projection of the person who's seeing them's consciousness. Uh, their insecurities and or neuroses or whatever. Whatever's, and or their weird sex them. dreams brought to life. Whatever is eating them up inside uh, at the time manifests externally as these not real ghosts. We've We've come to the conclusion of. To both of our dismay, because both of us would prefer genuine ghosts. I am still really mad that the show hasn't gone down a supernatural route in any way. Well, well, yeah, what happened to that haunted diamond? Well, there's the cursed diamond, and there was also the time that Liam and Eleanor appeared from the ether when someone banged a gong, and they literally appeared. (laughs) And the time they also (laughs) appeared inside their own stripper cake at their own birthday party, which I still spend a lot of time thinking about. Yeah, and and to be fair... Prudence's pregnancy is also magical, as near as we can tell. (laughs) I'm so excited for her baby to come out. I think it's going to have hooves. Right after the Ted and Cyrus scene, we see Cyrus alone in his room. This is right after he was talking to Ted. So bear in mind, Violet has been gone for a little more than five hours tops. And he is playing the song Ain't No Sunshine sunshine when she's gone. It's been five hours. This episode may be the master of on the nose of all the Royals episodes we've seen. I noticed more super on the nose audio cues in this one. Well, especially than that one any episode because ain't that one no, is in particular. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone has never been used well in a movie or television show ever. It is mm-hmm. always the worst, most on the nose garbage every time. I'm sure you're right. There's not a doubt in my mind. But this was like egregious egregious because then violet enters and i'm not trying to like harsh on this actress it's not her fault that she was cast in this role but this dear little thing can barely walk on heels and i don't mean to sound condescending because she's probably older than me but she shuffles into the room on these super high heels her shoulders are hunched like how do i move in these and Cyrus, like, grabs her. It's like, oh, where were you? I missed you. I love you. And immediately we realize it's not Violet. He's just super coked up. It's Helena. And, of course, she's pretty disgusted by, you know, any display of emotions. So this is still before he threatened her with the sword. The whole first 20 minutes of this episode is Pulp Fiction ripoff style going back and forth in the timeline. Yes. And it it doesn't add anything to the episode. It just makes everything more confusing. No, but they're definitely going for something because there are all these super weird, super artsy transitions. It's very stylized. I have to to kind of throw us back to the very first episode of the podcast that Zach and I did 
on season one, episode one, there was a moment where Ophelia, who was Liam's season one love interest, was leaving, or her dad, Ted, was leaving the room, and she says, you forgot your phone. And he goes to reach for his cell phone on the table, and we see him reaching for the cell phone, but then the hand that picks up the cell phone is a young female hand, and all of a sudden it's Eleanor picking up a cell phone, and we're in a different place in a different subplot. You know what I mean? So what the show does this time is they show Cyrus's like cocaine lines on a tray, but then as the camera pans up from the tray, we're in Eleanor's room and she's the one with the drugs. And then there's a moment later on where Eleanor grinds up weed and puts it on, or no, it's we show Helena's uh, dressing table has a picture of Helena and baby Eleanor, and then the, the picture is all of a sudden like flat and. Eleanor in a different room is using that same framed picture, a different copy, for her weed. You know what I mean? It's very weird. I usually, I usually enjoy stylized transitions, but I, my problem with it was just based on the only other episode I'd watched. It did not seem to be what's what they call the house style of this show. You know what no. I really wish this show had instead of these artsy transitions? Just a bunch of Star Wars style wipes. Just wipes, <laughs> wipes, and wipes. I was rewatching The Force Awakens and I was like, more people should be doing wipes. I'm fucking loving this. I feel like Homer <laughs> Simpson with the star wipes. And star wipes, star wipes. Because uh, they're great. And I mean, I get that they're trying something. It's just that the show doesn't often try to be like that creative with the way it tells the story so it was a little jarring you could have stopped at the show doesn't try in certain arenas it seems that way yes but i i feel i can't totally say that because the art direction on the show is so superb like the sets and the costumes and the way certain shots are composed i mean someone's awake over there it's not the writers because they can't remember <laughs> what happens in between episodes and they certainly don't know what happened last no. season no 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 uh but i someone's someone's awake at the wheel over there the crew had got some of their artistic expression out in this particular episode with um with the, the wonky timeline and all of the all of the match cuts. There's also Cyrus freaking out and they play the same clips over and over again of Violet saying, "I love you. Of course I love you. I love you. Of course I yeah. love you." And Helena going, "She's the friggin' maid." <laughs> uh in the same jumbled timeline opening, Liam is convinced that Helena has killed this girl who was um competition for Simon's affections when they were younger. His dad's in first order to love. secure the throne. Yeah, they are yes. making great use of um, Simon's portrait, the giant oil painting of him in this episode. And in almost every episode since it appeared. That oil painting but, is my uh, favorite character. <laughs> so Liam is investigating this, and in one of the moments where they go back and forth in time, uh, Liam overhears a fragment of Cyrus's conversation with Ted, Specifically a point where Cyrus is saying something like, of course she did it, people are killing each other around here all the time. And I guess he assumes that they're talking about the death of this this young woman, even though they're talking about Violet. But Liam only hears, like, a fraction of the conversation and makes this wild assumption. A lot of the quote-unquote evidence that makes... Eleanor and Liam at one point scream at their mom over and over, You did it! You did it! Just tell us you did it! It's so, so, so circumstantial. circumstantial. It's I hilarious. had an awkward conversation with mom, therefore she committed murder 30 years ago. But first we see this whole scene with Ted and 
you know, his consciousness is projection of his wife, but for the sake of ease, we're going to call her ghost wife. Ted wakes up and the song lyrics behind him say, I found my demons again. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't even notice that one. He, his wife is like taunting him about the fact that he killed Simon. There's really no other way to say it. Mm -hmm. uh, he's like, no, I was just having like a sex dream about you. But we really have to get it out of this point. Zach and I have kind of trying to, been trying to withhold the information as long as possible because we try not to do spoilers for too many episodes ahead as we record stuff. But at this point, since Ted's ghost wife is his own mind talking to him and she's saying, you killed Simon, and because he talked Lucius into giving the false confession, and because we see him during this episode planting cameras on the royal family throughout the house... And because Deep Throat said he was the killer, too, uh, yeah. we know now that Ted killed Simon. This show yes. is terrible at keeping secrets. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The, the, the real disappointment is, and you'll get the the hard, hard, hard confirmation in the, uh, coming up soon in the next episode. There's a flashback. Of course there is. <laughs> but uh, the real disappointment is that, one... Ted seems like kind of a boring choice for the killer. And two, uh, the fact that they made it, they gave so many suggestions ahead of time that he was the killer so much. And so much as they literally had characters saying, Hey, Ted, you are the killer <laughs> about five episodes before they really confirmed. Yeah, that's, that's true. Which isn't a very great storytelling tactic. It's, it's just telling us something, making us wonder if it's true. And then just being like, yeah, it is. <laughs> they also set up the whole shadow, this whole shadow organization called Domino. It turns out Domino not. didn't kill Simon or Robert. So They didn't do anything. They haven't done anything besides like some graffiti and they put a necklace on someone and they're about to go viral. <laughs> yeah, they make their big move and release a YouTube video in this episode. Really a, a terrifying organization, this. Yeah, the only other thing is there's a brief scene with uh, Eleanor and James Hill, which kind of sets up a scene later in the episode where she wakes up and she has a brief conversation with him. Um, There's a cute exchange. About, She's upside down yeah. in her bed and she says, you're standing on my ceiling. And he says, if you write yourself, write yourself, I promise to come down, which I loved. I love this character. I can't hate. He's a good actor. He's better than the writing. Yeah. Just like Alexandra Park. She seems happy to have someone to actually act with. You know, they have, a, they have an exchange about her drug use, which he's trying not to get too involved in. And he apologizes for telling her to go make friends because, quote, I should know your friends would have been shit. And it's hilarious because she's wearing a T-shirt that says friends forever on. Yeah, I, I was I was a bit confused by the scene trying to figure out if this guy is an asshole or if this is tough love. No, they, they like each other. They're, they're, they have a positive relationship. He's a surrogate father. Yeah, figure. he's totally her surrogate father figure. But I was going to say, is it a tough love if he's just organizing her drugs and not taking them away like what how do you define tough love um she also delivers a line she said maybe twenty thousand times so far this season even though we may have never mentioned it which is you may amuse me mr hill yeah there's a slight chance he may amuse me yes uh and she said that about a billion times this season every time they have a scene together so as 
and her gimmick with Hill is that he won't tell her about why he left the army and went into mm-hmm. like this private line of work. But right. it, he told she her keeps... if she guesses correctly, then he'll tell like her. Rumpled Stiltskin. And she's always coming up with like these wild, these wild reasons. Yeah. And we just haven't devoted a long a lot of time on it because it's like sort of like a cutesy running gag, but. Mm-hmm. Until now, yeah, like she's guessed mm. that he was tortured by Saddam Hussein. And Adorable. He was uh, on the trail of some Moriarty-esque figure for Scotland Yard, and so she's like just never heard of Occam's Razor. Then, no, apparently not. No, but I don't know. She wants to keep it sort of a romanticized version of his past. To I be guess. fair, she thought her last bodyguard just came there to be a bodyguard, and it turned out he was there to steal a cursed diamond. So. Maybe cut yeah. her some slack. <laughs> um. Also, I feel like in the world of the royals, it's almost everybody she's met has been a master thief or um, has, you know, left their wife for her or something incredibly dramatic. Oh, yeah. I, is... I guess I can't be mad at a character in a melodrama for not understanding how the world works. As Hill walks out after his adorable little exchange with Eleanor, Liam walks in and Liam gives him this look like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, he's her bodyguard. What did you think? So Liam tells Eleanor, like, all this stuff about how he thinks their mom might be a murderer, and she's like, I gotta, like, get my shit together and get sober and get off drugs. And Liam says, the drugs thing was getting old. And I was like, could you be more (laughs) insensitive about the fact that your sister is, like, addicted to several different drugs and alcohol and sex? And then Eleanor responds, so was the sleeping with models thing. When have we seen Liam sleep with a model? Once. Once, In in season season one. one. And she's like, that was a poor example. And I'm like, is the show finally acknowledging that they call Liam the Playboy Prince, but he has nothing but, like, several serious girlfriends and then all these, like, female friends who he stares at very intensely while they stare back at him. But he's not the Playboy Prince. It could be that it was intended to be a a meta line and that the writers were assuming that for the audience, the storyline about drug addiction was getting tired. It is. And that they needed to retire it. They do. That was kind of my guess is that it was intended to be like a wink and a nod to the audience. Like, I know we've been doing this for two seasons. So you're saying you think the show is self-aware? That's a pretty bold claim. Well, (laughs) maybe it's too much credit. I I have a question about the character of Liam. Is this yeah. a character with any flaws, or is he just handsome and noble and noble and handsome? Uh, he thinks he has flaws, and pretty women have to tell him he doesn't sometimes. That's not a good character. People, he feels down about himself for no reason. He doesn't even really say he feels down about himself. Other people are like, oh, poor Liam. He's so down in the dumps because like, he had a bad day because his dad was murdered or his brother was murdered or someone yeah, else close to him was murdered. And then these girls give him these speeches. It's like literally some of them have been random women too, like random girl from a club, random pretty bartender lady, random waitress. They give him these speeches about like, you're the one who can save this country. And if you just believe in yourself, then everyone will rally behind you. And it's always kind of like, but why? Which we'll get to at the end of this episode when they introduce the hashtag, hashtag King Liam. King Liam, yeah. Uh. I, I guess 
if you want to be generous, he's apprehensive about living up to his father and brother's legacy. I'll, this I character guess. seems like a cipher. Yeah, I'll give him a little bit of credit for he's one of the members of the royal family who seems to understand that it's not maybe necessarily like the greatest thing ever and that abolishing the monarchy is something they should consider. Like, I'll give him that he legitimately considers trying to help the referendum to abolish the monarchy. But, um, I mean, he's going to give us this whole speech at the end of the episode where he introduces us to the concept that there's been violence in the past. Can you imagine such a thing? Did you know that every country in the world was built on violence? I had no idea until the royals on E! told me. Cyrus, not so subtly, also references this. Eleanor is... As usual, the only one with human reactions to situations, Liam is freaking out and is like, I want to find out if mum's an assassin, which is a weird word choice, because just because you murder someone doesn't make you an assassin, like a paid killer. But anyway, uh, Eleanor is like, okay, well, she and I are actually getting along for literally the first time in my life ever. Ever. Yeah. So I kind of want to actually like know what's going on. So let me take this picture that you found, which is of Simon and Dominique all cozy, and then it's ripped in half, and Helena is standing apart from them on the other side of the rip. Uh, and Eleanor says, well, let me take this picture oh, and talk to her about it. And quick intermission. Um, before the actual conversation starts, there's, uh, or possibly before this conversation between Liam and Eleanor starts, there's a quick scene of Helena and Eleanor both kind of standing around with another song playing underneath. The lyrics to which are, Headed straight for the castle, I'm gonna be the queen. There's an old man sitting on the throne telling me to shut my pretty mouth. <laughs> so, this episode is picking those songs. Oh. And then Liam turns off his radio. That's what it, It's diegetic music, actually, because Liam turns off his radio in the song Oh, ends. God, that was so dumb. <laughs> this episode is artsy as fuck. Fuck, yeah. Um, but one more thing before we jump into the conversation between Helena and Eleanor, which there is a lot I want to talk about there for a relatively brief scene. Eleanor says to Liam... Like, I just woke up, and I'm horny. And I was like, I would never yes, say that to my brother. To say to your sibling. My brother and I do not acknowledge each other as sexual beings at all. Mm. Like, as far as the other one is concerned, like, we're like dollhouse people. There's nothing going on there. <laughs> and I will give them credit, because there was a scene in an earlier episode where Eleanor talked about how she was she sent him like a text message or talked to him about how she was oh in the birthday party episode. yeah it was she recently. talked to him about how she was gonna go have sex with mandy and he just kind of laughed it off <laughs> at least here no he said gross he, like, and laughed but he did say yeah. gross at least here he gives her a look like inappropriate I don't but, know. Right. I felt like he was like weirdly calm through all of this, but we'll get to that. So um, Eleanor approaches Helena with the picture. Helena is like trying to hide the fact that Cyrus is passed out in her room. And I don't know why. I don't know. I mean, it's not like she needs people to have a high opinion of Cyrus. If anything, she's trying to have him declared unfit to rule. So she's acting very, um, you know, kind of... Uh, dodgy about it and is like making sure the doors to her bedroom are closed and she won't let Eleanor in and would, then oh. would Eleanor be surprised in the slightest to know that Cyrus 
had been knocked out in Helena's room after threatening her with a sword. She has known this man all her life. Well, on cocaine, too, because they both yeah, know that no. the other one does drugs. I think Eleanor would be like, oh, yes, that makes total sense to me. Okay, but I just have to get this out. So... Go ahead. Eleanor says to Helena, you seem shifty. Mm. And Helena responds as if it's a hilarious joke. Huh, oh, you God. seem bulimic. Yeah. You seem bulimic. And this is played like a punchline. And Eleanor kind of like gets a stunned, hurt look on her face. Because again, she's the only character on the show who has human reactions to things. I think that the show wanted us to find it to be like a funny, pithy quip. For the record, I did not. No, it it was so tone deaf. It just felt like a cheap, weird shot at the character, the actress, and like... I'm not saying it's impossible to make jokes about eating disorders or characters with eating disorders. I mean, see one of my favorite movies, Drop Dead Gorgeous. One of the main supporting characters is like anorexic, but it's a joke. Um, but it's just, it was very, a very oddly played moment and just kind of felt unearned, I guess I would say. Well, it's just that the two statements are not connected. It's like if I said to uh, my friend, hey, are you all right? You look a little tired. And he looked at me and said, your mother's a whore. <laughs> yeah, that's completely fair. Uh, but anyway, Eleanor tries to, you know, talk about Dominique Stewart and the picture and be like, what is this? She's kind of playing dumb that she doesn't even know who this person is. Yeah. And Helena is just basically being evasive and kind of ducks out of the conversation. Um, there isn't a whole lot of information exchanged there. Helena tries to take the picture from her and is like, I could find out more if you let me have the picture. Yeah. Which is, I guess, a little the picture, But the picture but... isn't proof, just because it's a ripped picture. Yeah. No. Like, no, it no, would no, no, still no. be your husband and his ex-girlfriend. It's not like, oh, let's frame this and put it on the mantle, sweetheart. You know what I mean? Like, right. he almost married this girl. If she had bitterness about her, I think that would be... I mean, maybe not admirable because being jealous of a partner's past relationships is kind of like silly, but whatever. Um, so Eleanor immediately returns to her brother who's waiting in her room and says, the bitch did it. And I'm like, <laughs> circumstantial yep. at best. But that being said, <laughs> Eleanor is then in tears over the fact that they think their mother killed another girl when she was younger. Whereas Liam is just like, blank, whatever. Like, throughout this episode, Eleanor is either crying or on the verge of tears every time they talk about the murder of Dominique and her mom possibly having done it. And I like, I feel like that's the appropriate response. If I found out my mom killed someone, I would be super, super broken up, especially when I think Eleanor is just now getting to a point where she feels like she can reach out to her mother for help with her addiction and these other really scary issues that she's dealing with. But everyone else's attitude about it seems kind of be like, that's whatever. That's the other thing. A lot of why it it hits especially hard for Eleanor in this episode um, because she had that really nice day with her mother the day before. Uh, and they felt close for the first time in years. But I want to note that the fact that that's where the relationship at is at the start of this episode, where they feel like they're connected and they want to kind of keep that connection going mutually. 
makes that bulimic comment even more bizarre. I think that's part of the reason. Because if Helena was just being normal Helena, maybe, because she's always terrible to her children and is callous about the death of their brother. It, It seems like the characterizations on this show are not terribly consistent and that the characters do and say what the writers need them to do and say in any particular moment. I think that Eleanor and Liam are pretty consistent. It's just that people Mm. say things about them that make no sense. Like, Liam is always telling Eleanor, you're the strongest one in this family. Oh, you're so strong. Everyone's like, Eleanor is... Everyone else is falling apart, but Eleanor is so strong. What? Like, she has casual sex that she dislikes, like, with people that she dislikes that she doesn't enjoy. She's addicted to a bunch of different drugs, and she's an alcoholic, and she cannot quit every time she tries. And she's also, I mean, again, I think her reactions are appropriate, but she's also the one who's crying all the time. And yet everyone's like, oh, Eleanor, you're, she's so strong. She's so strong. And like, I guess she's strong in the sense that she hasn't killed herself yet. And I'm not trying to be funny. Like, so many bad things have happened to her, and basically everyone treats her like dog shit. And I'll give them that Dutchie's pretty consistent, and Cyrus was consistent up until the Violet subplot. Eleanor says through tears, it just keeps getting worse, doesn't it? And then we're back with Ted, who's arranging some flowers in front of uh, Simon's portrait. And his wife, uh, his ghost wife, is there in the white dress that she was wearing the night she died, which we saw in the flashback from Ted's perspective uh, when there was that shooting on the red carpet or whatever event they were at. And so she's got, like, blood all over her abdomen where she was shot. And she has these super contrived lines. Uh, I wrote it down. I hate flowers. I hate the ones on my grave from when you got me killed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet I was grateful for that dialogue because I was finally able to understand that this is a dead person. I have to read that back one more time so you guys can appreciate how clunky the wording is. I wrote this down verbatim. I hate flowers. I hate the ones on my grave from when you got me killed. Really could have cut the when from when you got me killed, I think. I mean, I guess it's to attribute blame, but at the same time... We get the idea. Ted, even Ted's subconscious is fucking stupid and incompetent. Yeah. That's what I'm getting from I was about to say, you know this. how your subconscious is always spelling things out for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, explaining the circumstances of your life, lo- like reminding, yeah. I, uh, I but you know what? As stupid <laughs> as, giving you exposition as on your own As stupid as that exposition dump, which I think is meant to be sinister, is great use of Simon's portrait, which looms over the proceedings. Um, mm-hmm. Then after that is when we have the moment of Helena's picture of her and Eleanor as a baby transitioning to Eleanor using that for the weed. Then we go right to Ted bringing Liam a flower arrangement like a fucking psychopath because he does it in the creepiest and most obvious I'm being sketchy way. He's like, uh-huh. just bringing you this giant flower arrangement, young man. Doesn't every young man just want to giant fucking flower arrangement and obviously there's a camera in there when we find that out later in the episode i mean i wasn't surprised i don't think anyone was surprised if you're you know actually watching the show um Mm -hmm. and liam asks ted about dominique stewart ted basically tells him the truth but implies strongly implies that helena uh was guilty of killing her 
Um, and then in a truly even weirder and grosser than the bringing of the flowers thing, he goes, well, if you ever need to talk, son, I'll always be there for you. And it's very like, <gasps> he called him son, but he's his father's killer. Um, yeah, those Ted scenes have this tendency to just wash right off me because Ted is just, uh, he's not really my cup of tea. And I'm so sad that he's the killer, but that's the show we were given. Well, the um, good news is we won't have to deal with him much longer. <laughs> Helena seems to anticipate that her children are on the way to confront her. And somehow they know, and I don't know how they know this, did Dominique Jr. say it to Liam, that Dominique's racehorse was poisoned, and that's why yeah. it threw her. When did that we was, learn this? I don't know. That surprised me, too. There's like a lot of people on this show seem to know things that nobody told them. I was very much right. reminded of like Amy Adams as Lois Lane in Batman v Superman. She just knows it's... everything all the time. The other thing is, I think it's not even particularly consistent in regards to the horse being poisoned because at one point they say it was drugged and not poisoned also they say that she like if she didn't win the race she did extremely well in it because in that picture with simon which i think is from the day she died she's like holding that big fucking trophy and they're talking about how oh her horse ran so fast so she had to take it through the woods to cool down like how is a drugged horse running that fast and winning the race or a point i I feel like there would be a tip-off if everybody noticed that not only had she been thrown from the horse, but oh, also, it's dead? It's just yeah, dead for this, some reason? This is the first time they implied that the horse, like, died underneath her. So Liam and Eleanor confront their mother, and they're doing, like, freaky twin speak because they're, like, completing each other's sentences, like, you killed her! Then the other one goes, you poisoned her horse! Like, you did it because this! And you did it because that! Back and forth until they just devolve into yelling, you did it! You did it! Tell us you did it! And they're just, like, screaming. I, I, it's hilarious. I actually really enjoyed, about the twin speak, I really enjoyed Liam saying, you killed her, and then Eleanor saying, and you poisoned her horse? Because I yeah. liked Eleanor's priorities. <laughs> It's canon that Eleanor loves horses uh, because... She loves Charlie Jones. Charlie Jones, greatest horse name ever. Uh, Duchy enters and goes, I did it! In the greatest moment of television history. So dramatically. My take on Joan Collins' character is that she only ever thinks about what's going to sound the most badass anytime I come into a room. Yes, and she succeeds 100% Every single time, because, you know, we're going to do favorite moments at the end of the show. And I would say Uh if Joan Collins is an episode nine times out of ten, she's my favorite moment. Like, I'm addicted to her. I can't get enough. She should have her own show. Like, because, I mean, she's a TV legend and you can just see why her charisma. I'm not being facetious at all. Her charisma comes through in every scene and her Timing and her comedic timing are just so impeccable. Like, she is in her element. Very suddenly, she goes from a Lucille Bluth figure to a full-on soap opera villain. <laughs> I 100%. love it. Yeah. Uh, so she says, and she's always been extremely affectionate to her grandchildren. I mean, she says a lot of mean things to Helena, but then is proffering diamonds to Eleanor and talking to Liam about, you know, oh, how he's the handsomest boy ever, blah, blah, blah. But in this scene, she says, and you two spoiled brats should be grateful because basically you wouldn't even be born if not for me and you wouldn't be here and you wouldn't have all the stuff that you have. And like, she's not wrong. 
But let's take a quick pause from the confrontation to talk about the implications of Duchy being Dominique's killer. As in, what is the point of Dominique's death? What does it have to do with the main plot of the show? How does it prove that royalty is bad if Duchy wasn't even born into the royalty and she only came into the royalty after doing this? Because, honestly, in the grand scheme of things, even though it's super fun to have Joan Collins, like, have had this murder in her past, it doesn't really change who Helena is as a character. It doesn't really affect anybody else. It doesn't really affect the monarchy. It's just kind of like... Yep. A fun I mean, thing that happened that we were all supposed to be super obsessed with and thought was a you conspiracy. Make, you could make the argument that, okay, so this incident at the very least created the political organization Domino, but Domino doesn't do anything? Exactly. Well, I, I guess maybe you could argue that this is part of what makes Liam go on this whole philosophical speech at the end. As, as he's just really, like, coming to grips with how bad it all is. But it just felt pointless. I think it would be better if Liam, at the end of the episode, had decided to renounce the monarchy because of this. Like, that would, in general, be a more interesting turn for the show. Especially if Eleanor was, like, if Eleanor was allowed to do something strong instead of just falling apart every episode, which I don't blame her. I blame the writers. Let's say, okay, this is how I would rework things. I would have Eleanor be the one who's, like, let's have the monarchy be the force for good. She's the one we've seen doing the charity stuff. She's the one who's close with Robert, who was opening up, you know, these government-funded rehab facilities. And Eleanor is the one who's about to come into contact with some young women who are in a very, very dangerous situation. It would be so much more interesting if Eleanor were to almost take, like, a... I don't want to be reductive, but, like, a princess die attitude of, like, I'm going to use the monarchy as a humanitarian effort while meanwhile Liam is maybe looking at things from a more like moral slash political perspective and saying the idea of having monarchy period is wrong his father was his idol and his father wanted a republic we need to move towards that and abolish the monarchy then because they're such close siblings and they love each other and they're twins there would be conflict there and they're both incredibly popular with the people so they could both have like their own sets of supporters but this is all irrelevant because that's not what the show is doing. That's my fan fiction of the Royals. And, I mean, if you really wanted uh, a way to show that monarchy breeds violence and murderous intent in people and that it destroys relationships and corrupts the idea of family, you could have made Cyrus the killer. That would have done it perfectly. Yeah, I mean, he would have no motive to kill Dominique Stewart, though, like, unless... No, no, I mean the killer of Simon. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've been saying all along that if the show wanted to be Hamlet, they should have stuck more closely with Hamlet. And yeah. I will say the novel that this show is based on, or at least the first they season was based source on... source material for this? Yeah, we've talked about this it's before, a, but it's it, a novel based on Hamlet. It bears repeating. Kinda. It's a novel that's a modernization of Hamlet called Falling for Hamlet. It's told from Ophelia's point of view, but the first season of the show is very much told from Ophelia's point of view. The main difference in The Royals and Falling for Hamlet is that Falling for Hamlet is an almost exact retelling of Hamlet, and the characters all have their same names. Like, uh, Cyrus would be Claudius, Helena would be Gertrude, but they're going by their Shakespearean names in the novel. And when I first brought this up, Zach was like, well, maybe they just said it was the source material to cover all their bases so that they wouldn't get sued when they had this idea. 
No. Oh. There are scenes from the novel that appear word for word on the screen. So someone read that book at some point. That someone was not me. I got 30% of the way through according to my Kindle, but the prose was just so poorly written. I mean, we're talking below 50 shades of gray. I'm not yeah. even kidding. Like, it was, it was borderline impossible to read. It was like reading like a really sexually adventurous sixth graders prose. I'm sorry that I had to use that phrase, but you got to understand it was it was written like I went here. I Tell did Tell me more this. about these sexually da, adventurous da, 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 children. Da, da, da. That's not what I meant. You know what I mean. But then there'd be like sexy moments where Ophelia's like, I watched Hamlet sleep for four hours. Gross. It's just like some kid's fan fiction. But That's what I mean. Liam and Eleanor coming to terms with the fact that Duchy committed this murder and whether or not they should uh, reveal that fact to the people. Duchy um, is an unrepentant murderer. She apologizes to Eleanor for killing the horse, but expresses no remorse over killing Dominique. Yeah. Later, she actually asks... Uh, Helena to apologize to her. I love that. For going off, I loved that. For going off on her about the murder. But um, they they are, especially Eleanor, like you said earlier, is broken up about the fact that that duchy is a murderer. Um, and they say that they killed her. We killed her. Yeah. I don't know how that follows in the slightest. Yeah, that struck me as weird. I mean, they're not, they're not even 30, and it happened 30 years ago. They're definitely in their early 20s. They weren't born. Uh, neither of their parents did it, so they can't even be like, we're the off direct offspring of murderers. Um, but the show does that with both the Stuarts and the Henstridges, where the family unit is using the we. I almost use, wish they were using the royal we, you know what I mean? Like, we are not amused. We will have a biscuit now. We are going to the toilet briefly, etc., etc. <laughs> Uh, Eleanor is crying through all this, but Liam's face is so, like, whatever. Um, and then after the kids leave, there's, uh, Helena and Duchy alone together, and they start talking about how Violet is still missing, and it's strongly implied that Duchy had a hand in getting rid of Violet. She goes, whether it was an accident or not, very mm -hmm. significantly, and Helena says walk away which is her catchphrase i mean she usually says it snappily like walk away but this time it's supposed to be like i'm using my catchphrase but in a sad way and it's like stop trying to make walk away happen walk away isn't going to happen at least no one said omg uh actually fml, it's FML. oh excuse me <laughs> yeah that's that's on the family crest though so <laughs> um, meanwhile, uh, Cyrus is still reeling from Violet's disappearance, and he is scouring the castle for booze when he runs into Liam, who is, of course, staring wistfully at his father's portrait as he spends, I think, 80% of all of his days. In fairness, um, it's a great portrait. I would stare at it wistfully, too. I do stare at it wistfully <laughs> whenever it's on screen. Sure, fair enough. Um, and they start having this conversation uh, about how they're both in a funk over Violet's death and the revelation that Duchy killed 
Dominique, which Cyrus claims to have no responsibility for. We did skip a scene. Uh, Ted comes to Cyrus and tells him that they found uh, Violet's vehicle. This is all really important. They found Violet's vehicle. Um, It was abandoned. It looks like there was foul play. And Ted, being Ted, being fucking wildly incompetent, Mm -hmm. uh, took something from an active crime scene. (laughs) That something (laughs) being Violet's locket, which is a picture, like baby pictures of Violet herself with an engraving on the back that says, I love you to the moon and back. And somehow they all just assume this is the thing she was going to get for Cyrus. It's not like it was like clutched in the hand of her body because she's missing. Well, that struck me as odd because, like, she was going to get something to show Cyrus how much she loved him, and that something is a locket that she has with baby pictures of her. I guess maybe it used to be her mom's locket? She said in the last episode, I'm going to get you something to calm your nerves. It was a gift my grandmother got me when I was little, and I was nervous about something or other. Singing at a recital. Yeah, and so uh, theoretically, this is what her grandmother gave her when she was a little girl. So did her kidnapper, whoever it was, take her in her vehicle and then try to get rid of the car? Was she in her car and then there was some sort of a struggle or foul play? The show doesn't make it clear, but at this point, I think we're supposed to assume that, you know, something has gone horribly wrong. There's more details that don't make any goddamn sense about this later. You know what my moral for this show is? If I don't see a body, if I don't see a body, if I don't see the knife going in then they might not be dead i'm 100 percent serious that is that that is the case you can uh, take into pretty much any movie or tv show where because the rule of storytelling is show don't tell if somebody tells you something without showing it that means they're lying yeah but also with this show especially i mean i can't spoil things for the finale but just Believe me on this one. Believe me on this one. But now we get to the scene between Liam and Cyrus. Um, The staff is trying to keep alcohol away from Cyrus because he's a raging alcoholic, in addition to being (laughs) the sovereign monarch of their country. With testicular um, cancer. Cyrus is like, the staff won't serve me alcohol. Can you believe it? And Liam's like, I'll believe anything these days. Like, the <laughs> angst. The angst. Oh, my goodness. And Cyrus proceeds to deliver what seems like the writers thought it was a really groundbreaking revelation of a speech. And it's like, yeah, any cynical 15-year-old could have written this. I know. It's like someone just like thought about, hey, did you ever think about that, like, history is written by the winners, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And empires are built on bloodshed. Yeah, yeah. So he has these, all these references to like King John was the first king accused of murder. Ivan the Terrible wiped out thousands. King Herod ordered the death of all the Jesus. infants under two. Okay, we get a Jesus analogy on the show for the we first do. time yeah. with mm-hmm. the British with King John. I was like excited when he brought that up because I've been talking about. Richard the Lionheart and Prince John, later King John, who I think this is the uh, King John they're talking about. And the parallels with Cyrus and Simon and their mother, Barbara Bush, there. Um, (laughs) Mostly based on my knowledge of the Disney movie Robin Hood and the excellent BBC series Robin Hood, which I recommend over this show. Oh, I just know the lion in winter. Oh, another absolutely great thing to reference. So then Ivan the Terrible, I was like, 
okay, well, not British, but we're somewhere in the realm. Then we got to King Herod. And Cyrus is talking mm-hmm. about how Jesus was like a newer, younger king waiting to replace him. And I'm like... <laughs> That did not happen in the slightest. Well, you know how, like, Jesus was, like, the sexier trophy wife? (laughs) Unless Cyrus considers Jesus to be, you know, like, the king of kings. Is this Cyrus, like, having a rare religious moment? But I thought it was hilarious because I thought at first that Cyrus was comparing himself to all those people because of the King John thing. So by the time we got to Herod, I was like, what the shit is going on? But then he (laughs) takes that turn and is, like, talking about how all empires were built on blood and bodies, da-da-da. And both he and Liam act like this is a revelation. And I'm like, pick up a book, any book. any book like take a walk around the block and let me know what you see because this is something i feel like even from a pretty young age you begin to have a sort of an understanding of it certainly by like junior high you know that like king henry the eighth chopped off his wives heads oh like monarchs aren't always good oh you have like marie antoinette and louis the 14th and you're starting to get an idea of like what the deal is with monarchs and people so it's just very bizarre (laughs) Yeah. And Liam uh, tells Cyrus he can keep this big crystal decanter of booze that he has, which was probably a bad move, uh, but he does it anyway. And he's like, sorry about Violet. I hope she's okay. And walks out, leaving Cyrus to assume Liam's position and stare wistfully at the portrait of King Simon. Yeah. And he he reflects also in the scene about how Liam should be glad that he took the title of king from him because it's, like, it's different from the inside or something along those lines. I guess Liam was never, for his whole life, second in line to the throne, though. There was never a time when Cyrus, like, swooped in and took it because wasn't Cyrus already second in line? No, 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 Oh, because he had him declared a bastard. I forgot about that. Yes, it's like, the paternity test. Because it's come right. to nothing so far because he's prince right. again, so... I forgot yes. about the paternity test thing. Well, yeah, my bad. Uh, so Eleanor deals with her grief over learning about Duchy's uh, evil ways by talking to the aforementioned James Hill in her room. She, what does she get? She she goes about guessing his backstory once again. But this time, well, this time her guess is a joke. She thinks that there's no way it could be true. Like, she's very upset. He is nice to her and comforts her because he's, he's kind of becoming the Marcus in terms of that rare combination of both moral and competent. Although in the past, I've questioned his competence because he would let her go off on her own. And I think that he should realize by now that that's a really, really, really bad idea. And he also helped Jasper have access to her at various times, which is not the best call. Yeah. Well, that's a poor judgment call. So, oh, I remember James Hill brings her an envelope saying these are from Mm -hmm. Jasper. And Eleanor opens it up and it's Dutchie's diamond earrings that Mandy stole from her on her birthday. The ones that Helena had wanted. But of course, Dutchie being Dutchie told Helena, you don't look good in diamonds. They don't suit you. So, Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, yeah, this just, I just realized this, her birthday. That was, this party was two nights ago at this point in the show. And somehow yet the episodes happen day to day, but somehow Prudence is 15 months pregnant, which we'll yeah, get to in a moment. The, 
This is the day after Helena and Eleanor had their nice day yeah. with the horses, which was the night after the birthday party. Yeah, because everyone was so wearing their same costumes. Weekend. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, anyway, so Hill's nice to her, and as he's leaving, Eleanor like makes a joking guess. She thinks it's a joke about him leaving the service to take care of some wayward girl. Which is the most normal thing she's guessed so far. Absolutely. But she's meaning it about herself, and here's the thing. I've been plenty cynical about this show. I will continue to be plenty of cynical about this show. But until a certain point at this scene when things took a turn for the stupid, I may have gotten a little... I may have felt something. I may have felt an emotion. I may have felt my throat choke up a little bit and even a little tear come to my eye because the actor who plays James Hill is great and he has this whole monologue about how um, he did leave the service for a wayward girl because uh, when his niece was still a very little baby, not even able to speak, his younger brother and sister-in-law were killed in a car crash and he became the sole guardian of his niece and about how he was so afraid. But in the first instant that he saw her, he like learned more about sacrificing yourself and giving up your own life for someone else than he had in his whole time in the army. And it's just beautifully played very well done by the actor you know it's thoughtful it's obvious that um alexander park who plays eleanor is like there with him there's a give and take of emotion there where they lost me a little bit was they take it even a step further and say that you know his niece now his daughter i'll call her his daughter because that's what she is his daughter saw on the news that King Simon had been killed, like his six-year-old daughter, and said, Daddy, you should help them. Yes. And so that's why Hill became a bodyguard for the royal family. And they so had me, and then they completely lost me with that one. For did, the most part, yeah. the scene does work. Uh, up until, like, the, the logistics of that bit at the end are mind-bogglingly dumb that his... <laughs> His daughter would just say this one thing and he'd be like, okay, new career? <laughs> it's very, like, Hallmark moment and also way too convenient and way too, like, yeah. neatly fits into a package. But up until then, and <laughs> to some degree, like, like for the most part, and, and to some degree after that, even though that moment is stupid, the scene works emotionally. Like, the, the they do really well together, as you say. They have great think, chemistry. Yeah, for the most part, I think the scene does work, despite the fact that that sentiment, that that reason for him jo starting a new job is incredibly absurd. But otherwise, I think it works pretty well. You no, know, I mean, everything you said is 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 on point, and it, it it is such a nice monologue because it sounds like a real person conveying real emotions and feelings about real events. And then you get to that last part, and you're just like, oh, you were doing so well. Yeah. Why did it well, suddenly get really dumb in here? It's like uncomfortable. <laughs> But as soon as she he finishes his monologue about why he joined the uh, Royal Secret Service or whatever they're called, um, we get the payoff to this lion that has been repeated all season, where instead of saying, you may amuse me, Mr. Hill, she finally says, you do amuse me, Mr. Hill. What could be more amusing than the story of losing your brother and his wife in a horrific accident and having to take on their orphaned child? You know, it's hilarious. Well, she's a royal. Yeah. The troubles of the plebes are, are <laughs> but mere dross to her. I know. I'm shocked she's not wearing gloves in this scene, since that tends to be protocol when dealing with anyone who's not upper class. 
but we go right from that scene into Liam showing Dominique Jr. around the palace for no fucking reason and talking about how great his dad was. Their conversation mm-hmm. was so weird. He takes her into his bedroom and I was like, oh, here we go. Because they're definitely doing something vaguely flirtatious with these characters. And sure. he's like, this could have been your room. And I was like, what? Like, it's not like Dominique and Simon were actually engaged. Yes, they were involved. But even if Dominique had become queen, there's like a lot of logical leaps there. And Dominique Jr. isn't her daughter. She's her niece. Yeah. And it, this, she, yeah, the line about this could have been your room is finally when I started to figure out who this girl was supposed to be. Yeah, I don't blame you for not knowing. The show itself kind of obfuscated her role. She started out as like a serving girl at one of the parties. She was the one who put the necklace on Liam when he was passed out in the gutter drunk the night his father died. For what reason, we're still not sure. Because if Domino had killed Simon and they were leaving their symbol behind on Liam as like a you're next or like watch your fucking back type thing, that would be something. But they didn't kill him. Ted did. And Ted's not a member of Domino. Because basically Domino is just another word for the Stewart family who are the Henstridge's rivals. So anyway... Um, we go, we're returning to a well that the show has gone to all the time, which is that people only see the royal family through how the media portrays them. And Dominique Jr., he's like, I don't know how I can pay you back. And Dominique Jr. is like, just like talk directly to the people. And she whips out her phone and starts making a YouTube video. And he sits down in front of the fire. This is the scene from the beginning. There's like a dramatic whooshing sound effect. And she asks him... Like, is your family good or is your family bad? And that's when he says uh, his line Are you from good the beginning. Royal or bad royal? <laughs> we're just a family, like any family, and then we're not. And he's they start making like this like viral video. There's really no other way to put it. Duchy. And uh, Helena uh, are, uh, this is when Duchy appears and asks Helena if before she leaves, if she wants to apologize for her outburst for her earlier, her anger at her killing a woman. Um, Killing a girl. Conveniently. And at this point, Jones Collins pretty much directly confesses that she killed Violet. Now, how she did it is weird because... There's an implication she poisoned her with tea the day before. They did have a tea party. Yes. And then somehow maybe the tea took effect when she was in the car. I'm not really sure. But also there were signs of a struggle in the car and the body was missing. I don't know if we're supposed to think Dutchie fought this 20-year-old, 23-year-old woman. That doesn't seem very reasonable to me either. But well, clearly somehow... you have not watched the career of Joan Collins. She's had many a cat fight. That's true. She's one sure. tough, tough motherfucker. Fair <laughs> enough. But the logistics of how this murder happened, alleged murder, uh, make no sense whatsoever to me. I don't know if you guys got more out of it than I did. Nope. They just threw out a bunch of elements. The ca- the abandoned car... The fact there were signs of a struggle, that she might have been poisoned, but none of these things ever there come together. There was blood in the car. There was blood in the car. Yeah, um, all I got from it was, I killed her somehow. Or she had yes. her killed, maybe. But we'll figure it yes. out. So uh, anyways, Joan Collins is killing everybody nowadays. So, so that's Helena tells Dutchie, 
you're being cut off. I'm taking away your title. I'm taking away your staff. I'm taking away your stipend. And Joan Collins is like, fucking try me, bitch. And Helena is like, it's either that or you're, she implies that she's going to jail by saying that she'll turn her in and she's wearing sure. orange for the rest of her life with no accessories. And Joan Collins is like, you don't have the fucking stones to turn me in. And then Cyrus appears from behind one side of a double door. I have to say it's very important that he appears from <laughs> yeah. behind one side of a double door oh. and says, if Helena won't turn you in, I will because, you know, da 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 you killed Violet, etc. But guess what? You killed the wrong maid. The other side of the double door oh. swings open, and there's yeah. Prudence, good old Prudence, the and sexually, here's sexually I've assault- never seen before. Well, well, she was from season one and, and some of season two. Okay, so what happened was in season one, Cyrus, the best sexually, ki- assaulted, sexually assaulted her. I almost said sexually coerced. He sexually assaulted her. He said, like, if you don't let me have sex with you, then you're going to be out of a job. And Prudence was also very, very devoted to Simon in a non-sexual way. And their relationship was supposed to be, like, an example of the pure and, like, um, very compassionate mm. bond that Simon could have with the commoners. So (laughs) Prudence gets pregnant, and then in the beginning of season two, she tries to convince Cyrus to have this baby in his life because she's sure it's a son, and she wants to give her son a future by, you know, having him be a member of the royal family. I would say take this baby and get as far away from this man as you can. But anyway, Prudence is staying there. She's been pregnant for two entire seasons. (laughs) So she's either been pregnant for three weeks or four years, and we're not entirely sure which. (laughs) I wish we were kidding. But anyway, she's, you know, she's tiny everywhere except for her giant belly. And Cyrus is like, the engagement ring I picked out, I'll always love Violet, but I was never planning on marrying her. The engagement ring I picked out is for the Mm -hmm. mother of my son, the heir to the throne. And it's like, Yep, door swings open. You killed the wrong maid, bitch. And it's uh, a big... Big dramatic moment. Um, then Very soap opera moment. This hilariously like dramatic, like epic, like Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia uh, music kicks in, and Liam is giving this speech, and there's like drum, 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 drum. Uh, Liam's yeah. giving this speech about how I'm not going to go through it, but how the past was violent, how every sure. empire is built on body, da 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 da, and he is talking about how this is all part of this uh, video that Dominique Jr. convinced him to make. Which, just a quick note. She is filming on her iPhone from, like, eight feet away. So I feel like the audio is going to be total shit on this thing. Especially because that fire is crackling very loudly. Very loudly. But apparently she has next-level iPhone technology because it sounds great. Just wanted to get that in there because it bothered me in the moment. So he's giving this whole speech, and he's talking about how his father wanted to abolish the monarchy and form a republic. And I thought at first that that was going to be the point of his video. But he takes a hard left turn. He uses a Hamlet quote from Hamlet's famous soliloquy, you know, uh. um, about taking arms and opposing struggles and by opposing end them, etc. I'm misquoting it, but anyway, the point is that quote is about getting through the problems of life by killing yourself and taking yourself out of the equation. And he's right. completely misusing it. I mean, wildly misusing it um, to be in the sense that 
uh, it means that the monarchy should rise up should. and try to yeah. right these wrongs that they themselves created, which it's mm-hmm. not the idea that necessarily bothers me. It's the fact that I'm like, does anyone it's on this close. show understand Shakespeare? They probably think where far out there Romeo means where are you, Romeo? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like yeah. they didn't even bother to get the most cursory understanding of what the words meant. And everyone's watching this video. Uh, Eleanor is watching it on her iPad. Helen is watching it on her iPad. I can't tell if it's streaming live or not. Uh, Helena is out on the balcony. uploaded it very quickly. Helena is out on the balcony being all sad. And Eleanor is very sweet and sympathetic to her way more than Helena deserves. She gives her mother the diamond earrings that she always coveted and says, like, Dutchie was wrong about you. Diamonds suit you. And there's this weird exchange where Helena says, nobody cries for the queen, nor should they, even though I don't totally get that. Or no, I think the show has ever made that point. Yes. But, uh, I think they briefly mention the murder of Dominique and Violet, uh, which is important because we get the big reveal that the flowers had a camera in them the whole time. Yeah, well, there's a moment like, oh, character development where Helena gets the diamonds she's coveted and she doesn't put them on. She leaves them out on the balcony, which I hope this doesn't mean this is the last we're going to see of Joan Collins on the show because her presence and her energy will be sorely missed. But yeah, we see Ted very obviously removing cameras from flowers and showing that he was taping them the entire time. The... Video has gone up online. Uh, Liam brings up the choose love line that his father said and then his mother later repeated again. Yeah. And I'm like, and yawn, here comes the, what a snore. The most unrealistic thing in the entire episode. Yeah. So then as the video goes live, there's like a super, super slow pan down to the YouTube comments section. And the first comment isn't like first or some sort of or homophobic fake, slur or some sort of racial slur yeah. or a comparison mm-hmm. to Hitler. It's just hashtag King Liam cut to black. There you go. I do want to make one more note, Yep. which is just because I feel like I need to. Uh, the very triumphant song you mentioned, the Lord of the Rings song, I think it started when he was showing Dominique the picture of King Simon, at which point it says, uh, while he's showing her around, the lyrics are, do you think I'll make you feel better? And then later, when um, when he is giving his speech and Eleanor's watching it, the lyrics are repeated, we will take it on, we will take it on. So... Once again, A-plus song choice, the Royals. If Dominique Jr. and Liam don't fall in love or at least bone in season three, and if there isn't some sort of like two households both alike in dignity thing going on, then the Domino plotline will have officially been pointless. I think we've made a lot of hay about how it seems like a lot of the plotlines in this season were completely made up on the fly. They're and, not set up in season one. Yeah. yeah. And the resolutions really confirm that. Well, the test because... will be whether we see them again in season three. Sure. Uh, even then, maybe they'll just make up some new shit right on the spot. Yeah. Based on what they're... But uh, I guess we should move on to your favorite question. On that note, we're going to start with Jesse because he's our esteemed guest. What was your favorite moment or image from this episode? I guess I have to go with the scene of... Uh, Cyrus with the sword holding Elizabeth Hurley down in bed and then getting the vase smashed over his head, if only because, to me, it felt like that was the only thing that even happened in this episode. This was a strange one for me because 
like I said, I saw episode five, and this was episode eight. And apparently in episode six and seven, a million other things <laughs> happened. And yet, when we get to this episode, suddenly there's no forward momentum. And this episode is nothing but people sitting around a castle, looking mopey, and occasionally accusing each other of murder. Uh, That's I, par for the <laughs> course, my friend. I know, I know. Um, it, it just was so odd to me that... This clearly, this episode is supposed to be the culmination of storylines of chickens coming home to roost. But because I have not been watching this show, none of it had any impact or resonance for me. So yeah, I have to pick out to me the one scene that meant anything, which was holding Elizabeth Hurley with a sword and then getting a vase smashed on his head. It's not a bad choice, even if you have been keeping up with the show. All right, I'll throw it to Zach. Same question. I I slightly worry that I'll be stepping on your toes here, but. There's only one thing I ever want to see in any piece of media I watch, and that is for someone to dramatically enter a room and say, I killed her. <laughs> That's all I want. Out of any time I put on a movie, television show, I hope that line is in there somewhere. So I just have to go with uh, Joan Collins announcing that she was a murderer. If you can believe it, that was actually not the moment that I chose for this episode, although it was high up there, along with Liam and Eleanor's twin speak devolving to them just screaming, you did it, you did it, tell him you did it, because it was so (laughs) funny um, to me, because all of a sudden it was like they were 13-year-olds. But my favorite moment was the other side of the double door is swinging open and Prudence and her giant belly being behind it. That was my favorite moment. And you killed the wrong maid, bitch. That was amazing. That was like so Barbara Gold to the extreme. And I really do believe that that was something that was at least a little bit set up because when he picks out the engagement ring, we never hear a mention of Violet. I mean, obviously she's a red herring in that sense, but he doesn't offer it to her. And I thought that the show actually had like maybe a little bit of a vein of cleverness here of making us really think that he was going to make Violet his queen when he just won her as a mistress and yeah. to marry and the had, mother of his son. To their credit, they had set up that he was now infertile and that he had at least some concern about his lineage. And about like seeming that. like a man. Also, I'm just nostalgic for season one because things like sort of feel like they made sense back then, vaguely. Maybe I'm just remembering <laughs> wrong. Um, so it was fun to see Prudence because she was a character that had like a lot of background built up in season one and then she kind of completely disappeared so i was glad that at least there was some payoff for that it didn't feel so totally random i i i have a question yeah uh this is going back a ways but that cartoonist that cyrus had arrested at the end of episode five we never see him again i was about to ask is there any follow-up on that any consequences No, 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 no. no Liam mentions in this episode, we didn't get to it just because there was so much to unpack, but Liam mentions... That human rights yeah, that Cyrus is... The Stone Age. He says he's rolling them back to the Middle Ages. Um, yeah. And the Stone Age. Um, Whatever. Yeah, I know what Human you mean. rights weren't great in the but Stone Age either. this is the first time a member of the royal family has really expressed concern over that, but we've seen Violet and Cyrus going over the papers and online articles, and understandably, the British people, or at least the British press, are like, what the fuck is going on? You can't just be jailing journalists but as far as we know that guy is still rotting in prison because there's really been no turnover of power and the prime minister is more interested in like seducing men than actually getting anything done and like making quips at helen about which one of them is younger slash hotter uh literally that's been the majority of their dialogue with each other right no she spends all her time sneering and raising her eyebrows 
she's in good company. Uh, but on that note, thank you so much, dear listener, if you made it with us through this doozy of an episode. Yeah. I really appreciate Hopefully you we being didn't have here. Two ec- I'm sorry to have two probably extra-packed episodes in a row, but that's the way it goes sometimes. That was just the show kind of dumping everything on us exposition-wise at once. And I can't promise that next week will be any different because last time I talked about how they showed a black-and-white clip of Simon getting ganked with the knife, which we now know as Terry goes, huh! and they played the, just that huh! on the next time on, and they played it again on this episode because it didn't actually – and the next time on because it didn't actually show up in this episode. So sure. uh, they are really getting the most out of that huh! moment as they can, which I just love. Um, but you can contact us on Twitter at Stage of Fools Pod or on Facebook. Our page is Stage of Fools. Um, yeah, so please feel free to get in touch with any questions or comments you may have. I can definitely imagine that some of you may have some questions, and Zach and I will do our very best to answer them. Uh, until then, thank you so much, Jesse, for joining us this time. I'm so happy we were ha- uh, able to have you back on. Oh, my pleasure. Yes, and- Jesse, you have a podcast of your own? I do. I, I uh, co-host a show called What Do You Think, Paul? Available in the iTunes store and on chaingangmedia.com. Uh, that show is coming to an end at uh, the end of May. We'll be celebrating four years of podcasting, wow. at, at which point we'll, we're sort of shutting our doors. We're going to be uh, reformatting uh, on a, a much less regular basis. We'll be uh, doing an episode approximately every whenever I feel like it, so it's <laughs> once every couple of months, and we're going to have a rotating format. We might discuss a bad movie in one episode. Uh, the next episode, we might have a long-form interview with a comedian friend of mine. Uh, we've even been talking about doing a, a, some radio plays ah very interesting stuff well Well, uh, i really look forward Uh, to seeing what's next for that show congratulations on four years yes i don't like doing this show but i hope we aren't doing it four years from now Uh, or at least on a different not on the royals any longer at the very minimum well Um, it's got a third season so you'll definitely be doing it for at least three years Yes, but until then, uh, listeners, stay tuned. Next week we'll be talking about the penultimate episode of the show before the finale. And I'm sure, as always, there will be lots of drama going down. So until next time, I'm Shannon Camp. I am Zach Powers. Bye. Visit Stage of Fools on our Twitter at Stage of Fools Pod or on our Facebook page, Stage of Fools. The Royals is property of E. Stage of Fools is produced by Darren Husted, artwork by Joshua Hollis. seen that movie and we're not going to yes so don't bring that filth into our house jesse it's absolute garbage and i would advise no one to watch it darren don't cut that leave that in this episode that is a public service announcement from jesse whitehead you heard it here